hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Lit. I am joined today by Abby Libby from Conspiracy Pilled. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to talk about this book today because this is a book we referenced a lot on our first episode together, which if you guys haven't watched that, we reviewed the Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress by Kyle Mann and Joel Berry. It was like episode two. It was awesome. And C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce came up constantly. A lot. So much. Especially the grass. (laughs) Especially the grass. We will definitely get into hashtag real grass and how important it is to us. <laughs> but for those of you who just like haven't read The Great Divorce, have never heard of it, are thinking, that's a weird t- title. Why are a couple Christians about to talk about divorce? Like, that's not it. How so, great it is. So great. <laughs> so great. So great. So just kind of the summary off Amazon. And the reason I'm going to Amazon is because my copy of it is the signature classic, uh-huh. which is like everything. So that's not going to help. Nope. <laughs> All right, so C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce is a classic Christian allegorical tale about a bus ride from hell to heaven. An extraordinary meditation upon good and evil, grace and judgment, Lewis's revolutionary idea in The Great Divorce is that the gates of hell are locked from inside. Using his extraordinary descriptive powers, Lewis's The Great Divorce will change the way we think about good and evil. How are you feeling about that description? The gates of hell are locked from inside. Oh, good. That's the, honestly the biggest takeaway from this book, right? Yeah. And when, one of the things that gets me about most description is that they say it's a journey between heaven and hell. But do they actually go to heaven or are they just like outside heaven? It's... There's this whole passage talking about like it it is and it isn't like it's it's definitely not not heaven but it's it's definitely not not proper heaven that's that whole you have to go further up and further in thing right which you see is just copy pasted which came first uh which one are you last battle or the great divorce oh hmm googling yeah. <laughs> While you research that, Corey Anderson, thank you for listening with us today. You don't have to pretend to get things done. You could just like hang out in the chat with us. That's way more fun. <laughs> and we're kind of like having Bible study tonight. Yeah. So it's going to be super awesome. I see Bookstore Thor over on Rumble. Hashtag real grass for real grass. sure. Real grass. So Great. one of the. Oh, you got it. Great Divorce was almost 10 years prior to last battle so he copy pasted for last battle (laughs) I love that the last battle is so good Uh, we're gonna have to do a Chronicles of Narnia just like mega stream one day or or Or. hear me out five separate shows oh okay I mean why five seven 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 yeah we could do seven separate shows (laughs) just like a seven-month-long study of C.S. Lewis. It's fine. It'll be great. Corey Anderson is a fan of real grass. Me too. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that usually gets people, and it got me when I heard of it, is the title of the book. Did yeah. you have any confusion about the title of the book? I think initially, yes. I was like, what? What? It, what? 
excuse me? Yeah, so it comes as a response to William Blake's poem, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Mm. And I can kind of see why Lewis wanted to clap back. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because just like some of the lines from the poem is, Good is passive that obeys reason. Evil is active springing forth from energy. Like, dude... No, no. <laughs> and I, I, I had thought that William Blake was a Christian, but that is a very weird take on good and evil. It's honestly, at least it's self-aware, right? Because that's yeah. what a lot of the church seems to believe without articulating that. Mm. At least the church in America. That's fair. This idea that like you have to have a really boring, good life. Yeah, it. I think it was in one of the preferences to the screw tape letters where um, Lewis was talking about how we've just overly sanitized the idea of heaven. That in the Bible, you know, angels often had to say "fear not," but the way we mm-hmm. depict angels, it's like they're saying they're there, you know. Yeah. And so that that's not helpful. I feel like it's a huge misrepresentation of the glory and majesty of heaven. Yeah. And then Blake has this other idea that man has no body distinct from his soul. Energy is the only life and is from the body, which is weird because then Lewis comes back and shows just how important the body is. Like the soul isn't the only thing that is important by talking about the ghosts. Yeah. Of, of saying you need to be, is he making a point about bodies or is he making a point about being real? Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there is a, a real distinction or not, but at least that idea that you, whatever you, body you're in, because everyone had died, right? So right. that's a good point. They thought that they were substantial right? and they weren't in contrast with the real things. That's a fair point. And then the last idea from Blake is good as it ripens becomes continually more different, not only from evil, but other good. Good as it ripens? Right? (laughs) Blake had some weird ideas. It's either good or it's not. It's either good or it's not. I think so too. I think he was trying, well, and it comes from the title, right? The marriage between heaven and hell. He's trying to say, you can't have good without evil. Mm. And Lewis goes to great lengths to show that that's not true. Evil is so minuscule. It is basically nothing, which Mm -hmm. we'll get into. Right. Um, So one of the things that I really appreciated from C.S. Lewis is that he credited a writer that gave him the idea for the real grass and like the real water. Uh, and he, he didn't know who it was. It was like out of some magazine he had read, but I appreciated that he still credited yeah. that short story, even though he couldn't remember who wrote it. Aww. I just now I have that. to find it. Now I have to know. I know, right? I have to know where it came from. Yeah, because it was about a man who had traveled into the past and he couldn't interact with the past. Because it was too real, like the raindrops would come on him like bullets. You couldn't take a bite out of a sandwich. And he's like, I'm just going to apply that to heaven. 
That's cool. Right? Hmm. Why would you be less real in the future? Is Well, I think it's to say that the past is so immovable. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Because our past so uniquely shapes our future. It would be interesting to flip that around and say if you traveled from... If you tried to skip ahead from where you are now to the good things that you want, you wouldn't be real enough to grasp it. Ooh. That would that be would, fun. That would be fun. All right. So let's talk about the setting of the book. Um, it's narrated by an unnamed narrator. I think it's C.S. Lewis. Do you have any particular feelings about the narrator? I, yeah. It, I, I've, all, I've taken it to be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's how I've always felt. And he, he starts out in this gray town. Like, it's just constantly raining. Nobody's really around because they've all moved really far apart from each other. And he's just like standing in a queue, which is like extremely British. Yes. <laughs> They're always waiting in lines. I wonder if that's still true. It was definitely true during his time. Yeah. Um, and so they describe more of the gray town. It's, it seems like a night is approaching. It's this forever twilight that never changes an hour. It seems like, mm. which I've, I don't know. Why do you think it's particularly twilight there? I couldn't, it, it seemed like he was saying that this wasn't hell properly. Mm. That it was the medium point. So if if you ended up going to heaven from there, it was just purgatory. And if you ended up going to hell from there, it was always hell. Right. So this idea of just a liminal space between the two. But, but moving toward hell as opposed to moving toward heaven. Like a little oh, bit I more like hell it. than heaven. Yeah. Because the only person we get a glimpse of out in far hell... If, if we could even call it that, is Napoleon, who's mm -hmm. just, like, constantly walking back and forth and, like, blaming other people for his problems. Right. <laughs> Which we it's get just, a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like somebody else I know but won't name. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, technically, you could have anything you want in the Greytown. If you can imagine it, you could have it. Mm. It... it but it doesn't keep out the rain and it doesn't satisfy. <laughs> mm. That yeah, like you can have you can have whatever you want, but it's not gonna mean anything. That made me think about life a lot. Yeah. Like there's so much in life we think we want, like these pictures on the internet of the perfect life and mm. the the perfect job, the perfect family, the perfect whatever right and it's just not substantial like oftentimes people living those lives feel empty too because they've sunk their soul into something that is empty mm. I don't know what do you think I the, the, the biblical concept of of a of a dry well just 
mm-hmm. digging and digging and trying to get something that's worthwhile. But even if you do pull up some water, you're just going to be thirsty again. Yeah. I like that. Uh, while they're in the queue, some people fight. <laughs> it's like people fight all the time at the very beginning. It's like they start fighting on the bus. They start fighting in line. Yeah. Uh, like this big man throws a short man who's like acting a little too superior to everybody else. <laughs> and I'm like, did you behave this way in real life? <laughs> Are you throwing people out of line? Probably. It's so crazy. Everyone was so annoying and so accurate Mm. in this whole thing. That's so true. Base Babe on Rumble says, I often think of us as a bit like cats who eat plastic when they have a fresh bowl of food and God being like, what are you doing? I've provided for you. Yeah. That's hashtag real grass. That's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) That is so accurate. Um, so eventually a bus arrives and I, I just want to read you the quote of them descri- of him describing the bus. It was a wonderful vehicle blazing with golden light, heraldically co- colored. The driver himself seemed full of light and he used only one hand to drive with. The other he waved before his face as if to fan away the greasy stream from the rain. I think that's just so interesting. Was he like fanning it like this or like fanning it like this to obscure his face? I I wasn't sure. I wasn't either. Because I feel like we get pictures like that in the Bible often of angels obscuring their faces. Hmm. And that's just yeah, what it reminds me. I'm not me sure. Of. I'm not sure if it was meant to be a, a very symbolic moment or not. Hmm. Totally fair. Well, you guys get the idea. They get on the bus and now they're going somewhere. Um, I don't know if there's much else to say before spoilers. I don't think so. Yeah, so much of it spoiler. I mean, just to give you perspective, my section in this ginormous book is 76 pages the great divorce is not even 100 pages in the big anthology copy um so take take the time to read it it's good the audiobook is maybe three hours the audiobook is great the audiobook's really good yeah it is really good um so if you haven't read it yet go read it and we're gonna run our spoiler warning All right, we're in the spoilers. If you haven't read it, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. All right. So one of the first characters he meets is this poet who just wants to read him and tell him his whole life story. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that, Abby? Um, yeah, all the time. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> People just unload on you every yeah. second. <laughs> I like openness, but there is a... There's a way that sometimes people share their whole life stories and there's nothing open about it. 
Yeah. Because they're trying to control some sort of narrative around them, but they're not actually opening up to you. Mm. That's that's how this struck me. Just somebody who thinks it's a, a mistake that they're in the gray town. They're very offended by it. They've been wronged in life. They just want somebody to tell them, agree right. with them that they're owed something different. Yeah, he he claimed he was particularly ill-used, like his parents didn't understand him, his five schools didn't understand him, his girlfriend wasn't worth it, like everything in his life was just wrong. And he seems like a very sad and miserable creature. Yeah, but also just like each of these characters, on the one hand, there's a reason to be sympathetic for them. And on the other hand, it's like, you have just chosen over and over again, this misery. You've chosen this. And how can I feel bad for you if you, if you demand to be in this misery? Like, I can't, can't let you take me down. It, it comes up again and again, but it's this weaponization of pity. Mm. And we see that a lot. I mean, we see it an incredible amount today with, People trying to weaponize pity because of racism or sexism or whatever ism you have for the day. They're trying to make themselves seem like a victim. So you'll feel bad and sorry for their situation. And so they can have some sort of feeling of superiority. Yeah. Which that doesn't work when they get to. Yeah. And to demand like some... Like, I've had all this bad stuff, so I I must be treated better. I I demand to be... Like you're owed something. Yeah. As if we could be owed anything. Right. (laughs) That's the thing they constantly miss, is that no one is owed anything. Um, So one of the next characters Lewis tells us about is the intelligent man. And he's the one who really tells the narrator uh, a lot about the gray town. Uh, And... He's funny because he wants to go on the bus ride up to heaven so he can bring something from heaven back down into the gray town. Just because heaven is all heaven is to him is is something for his own gain, something to profit by. Not to spend eternity in heaven so he could be amongst... Right. The beauty of heaven for the rest of his days. No, he wants to bring heaven down into hell with him. Mm-hmm. They, they they want it. Most of yeah. them want to be there, even as bad, as bad as it is. And even as they say how bad it is and say that they're scared and say that they wish they had roofs kept off the rain and all of this, they, they like it. And they seem to have very little desire to to change it even even the ones that are going up to heaven are just like well let's just go on a field trip right yeah it, it's like a holiday from hell we're, we're just taking a break from hell we're, we're gonna turn around here any second and go back go back home go back home they call it we, home they oh. do they call it home they feel like they belong there yeah. they don't want to give up whatever they would need to get up give up humble themselves in any way admit any type of wrong in themselves, they want to feel at home in their little personal hells. Which is crazy because there is also that looming fear of that mm. coming twilight, of the coming dark. They know it's coming. 
and they think that they can all they need is to be able to build a real house all they need to do is be able to have community and that will protect them from it more, more cowbell just <laughs> more cowbell <laughs> like just more of this same thing that's not working yeah I like that yeah so we get to the Valley of the Shadow of Life, as C.S. Lewis calls it. And I, I'm just going to read this little section. It's probably not little, but just the description. And this is where we get hashtag real grass from, which is why I think it's important for us to read it, because it's become such an important part of the show. So then some readjustment of the mind or focusing of my eyes took place. And I saw the whole phenomenon the other way around. The men were as they had always been, as all the men I had known, perhaps. It was the light, the grass, the trees that were different, made of some different substance so much solider than things in our country that men were ghosts by comparison. Mm -hmm. Moved by a sudden thought, I bent down and tried to pluck a daisy which was growing at my feet. The stalk wouldn't break. I tried to twist it, but it wouldn't twist. I tugged till the sweat stood out on my forehead and I had lost most of the skin off my hands. The little flower was hard, not like wood or even iron, but like diamond. There was a leaf, a young tender beech leaf lying in the grass beside it. I tried to pick the leaf up. My heart almost cracked with the effort, and I believe I did just raise it, but I had to let it go at once. It was heavier than a sack of coal. As I stood, recovering my breath with great gas and looked down at the daisy, I noticed that I could see the grass not only between my feet, but through them. I was also a phantom. Who will give me words to express the terror of this discovery? Lewis, he does this a couple different ways in a couple different books, communicating that as real as we think we are, we are not real enough for God and his kingdom. Yeah. It's, we just simply are not. And we can be. And until we have faces, the way he puts it is, how can you, how can you demand to meet God face to face? How can you expect God to come down and answer your questions about all the bad that's happened in the world and, and answer you? If you don't have a face, how can you meet him face to face if you don't have a face? And in this, it's like, how can you even walk on his grass? You're not right. real. You're not real, man. You're not real. And which is why we now have hashtag real grass candles in the Hawkhound shop. So if you want to at least smell maybe some real grass. Not is it? Again. What is the scent on it? The scent is white sage and lavender. Here, I'll, I'll post the little graphic. But you're, you're so right, Abby. I mean, they, they can't even bend the grass. They're so not real. Right? Like it's they just going through them. They can have no impact on heaven. Absolutely none. And okay, so my candle's not in our shop, but All right. I did pick a special one for today. It's the Inklings. <gasps> oh, yay! It's cider, oak, and pipe tobacco. I love it. Me too. <laughs> I love pipe tobacco. <laughs> Well, if you guys want to get yourself a hashtag real grass candle or anything related to lit or conspiracy pilled, go to hawkhoundmedia.myshopify.com and use code lit10 to get 10% off. Um, we're really excited about that and all the things that we're doing over at Hawkhound. There's some big things coming, guys. There's some things that I'm going to announce at the end of the stream, but we're going to do that over on Rumble and Odyssey. 
because we at least mentioned hashtag real grass to YouTube. I don't think they should be around for the rest of the really real grass. Yeah. YouTube's not, not real, real enough for this stuff. Yeah. YouTube's not real enough for this. So peace out, YouTube. We will see you over on Rumble. Let me drop the Rumble link in the chat real quick. Try and get everybody over there. If you're not on Rumble, what are you doing? Stop giving your money to YouTube because they don't like you. Yeah. They don't like you. No. So go over to Rumble, go over to Odyssey, and we will see you guys over there. Ah, now that we're away from big tech. Yeah, gross. PJ says, real <laughs> astro, hashtag real astroturf. I think that's an oxymoron. Dork. <laughs> Base Babe says, best merch intro ever. Way to go. Thank you. I worked hard on that. But yeah, the ghosts are really terrified of this country. And in a way, I can't say I blame them. Like if the actual grass is hurting your feet, like it's so mm -hmm. painful. It's like wo walking on broken glass or like mm -hmm. walking on diamonds. I, I'd i be a little scared too. Be a little scared. They're like, what if it rains like it does in, in hell? <laughs> <laughs> the water is just going to poke you full of holes. But like imagine being scared of heaven. Imagine... Imagine looking at something so beautiful and so real and not being like, how can I, how can I be real enough for this? Like not asking yourself, how can I have this? But just like, oh, ew, no, I'm too good for this. How could we ever think ourselves too good for heaven, especially the heaven that is described here? And I, I do want to clarify, C.S. Lewis goes to great lengths to remind us, this is a dream. This is a work of fiction. It is by no means to be taken as theology. Yeah. And I appreciate that because I, I think that if you take him too seriously with the theology in this and, and even some of the stuff in Narnia, then people get mad at Lewis for being heretical or whatever. And he's like, no, he's just teasing out ideas. And right. I think it's it's good to do that. That's like, what if I think he teased out the idea of what if what if people were given the choice to come yeah. to he hell into heaven? What what would that look like? And how would people choose hell over heaven because th I think mm. the thing we forget is people do in fact choose hell over heaven yes we are given that choice here on earth and that is very biblical yeah no one is in hell who didn't demand to be there yep and sometimes that demand I think is very much like I want to be in this thing that's more at home to me you you see people are like you know I don't like Christians I wouldn't want to be in heaven I hate God I wouldn't want to be in heaven they say that loudly, but sometimes it's just when it comes right down to it, even if they th they say they believe in God on earth, when it comes down to it, they really do hate God. And there's only one place that you can be that God isn't. And I, I think that it's a mistake. People talk about like, is hell literal flame as if it's a, you would have to kind of explain that for right. God. Like how could a good God allow flame? I think it's worse than literal flame. I think it's, I think flame and worms and all of those things are metaphors used to describe something that's past description because mm -hmm. the absence of God by definition is that bad. Right. I, I don't think that there, I don't think God needs to put another torment in hell except for his own absence. And that's what people demanded, right? They yeah. demanded to be in a place where he isn't. He doesn't have to punish them further. And I don't think that he does. No, he doesn't. Um, and I wonder if 
as someone said this on a podcast or something I was listening to, I can't remember what it was, that this is God's last gift to someone who refuses to choose him. It's mm. like, okay, I've given you everything. I've given you the choice to choose me. Now you're not going to choose me, so I'm not going to make you. Right. Right. You can be in the place where I'm not, and and you can not have, because people don't realize that as much as the earth is cursed, there is still so much good here. Yeah. Um, and God is everything good that is here. So a place without him is going to be horrific and people still people still want it because they don't. I mean, there are people here on earth who want to destroy everything good and true and beautiful. Right. Like those, those are the people who are dying to get to hell. That they yeah. really want to be there. They want to be as far away from God as possible that they're intentionally destroying God's creation while they're still here. Yeah. Base Babe says over on Rumble, YouTube isn't real enough for AstroTurk. <laughs> that is so true. But you know what is real? Well, a- as close to real liquid as we can get, and that's North Arrow Coffee. Yeah, get that North Arrow Coffee. Got some in my lip mug. I got a new pink one. Super excited about it. So North Arrow Coffee is super awesome. It's five-star microwavable. And Pro-Life <laughs> donates 15% of all proceeds to Pro-Life charities. It is single origin and roast to order. So treat yourself to some delicious coffee and save some babies by using code Hawkhound to get 10% yeah. off your order. I'm not allowed to say this when I'm on stream with PJ, but I make double every day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, there's still some in there. So I just microwave my cup. And yes, I have no palate. But it, it tastes perfectly fine to me. Abby and I get each other because this is also how I drink my coffee. I am honestly like slightly annoyed when I have to make new coffee. And when, when there's coffee left over, I'm like, yes, I leftover coffee. coffee. I, I feel this. I, everyone's going to think we're absolutely insane. I just want my coffee immediately. I don't want to have right. to wait for it. Exactly. And it's like, I can handle the 30 seconds or one minute in the microwave compared to the 105 hours it takes the pot to brew. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That's inaccurate. 105 hours. <laughs> it feels I, like- I, I want to have enough time to empty my dishwasher and put things away. Not enough time to do five loads of laundry. Like- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so... It's not just the grass, it's not just the waterfalls, it's not just the water and the sunlight that are all real. It's the people who are real in this country as well. And he refers to them in a lot of different ways. He calls them the spirits, he calls them the solid people, he calls them the bright people. And they're all very interesting. Some are clothed, some are not. (laughs) Guess you don't care about that kind of stuff in heaven? Yeah, guess not. (laughs) I mean, we're naked and eaten, so why not? Yeah, why not? Um, Base Babe asked, do you prefer hot or cold coffee? Ooh. Generally hot, but like in the summer when it gets, when it gets really warm, I, I like a good, I like a good iced coffee. I feel that. And, and pro tip, take your leftover coffee, freeze it in an ice cube tray, and then have your iced coffee. That is the I way. I love doing that so much. So good. 
You have to do that here in Georgia because it's already too hot. It's only April. I'm going to die. Oh, no. (laughs) All right. So let's go through some of our encounters because we learn lots of interesting lessons from them. And the first ghost we see interacting with one of the spirits is called the big ghost. And so he encounters this bright person who was a murderer in his former life. And so the big ghost is like, wait, how come you're here? But I'm in the gray town. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not right. He's very intensely worried about having his rights and being right. And he's offered grace. He's offered to come into heaven. And he's like, no, I want my rights. Yeah. Like, sweetheart you have your rights <laughs> that's that's the rights that is the rights but so, people want people want to have earned heaven people yeah there's so many people whose pride is just too much they don't want to have to accept mercy that is so true uh, because I mean he says here look at me now said the ghost slapping his chest but the slap made no noise I gone straight all my life I don't say I was a religious man but I don't say I had no faults far from it I did the best all my life see I done my best by everyone that's the sh- sort of chap I was he he keeps trying to say that he was good enough good enough's not good enough man good, right it, it's not about living a good life. And Jesus is very clear about this constantly. Mm. It's not about living a good life. Because we can't earn our way into heaven. Yeah. And I think it's the people who tried the hardest to do that who are going to be the most angry Yeah, when it's given to them instead. And they have to share heaven with murderers. God forbid. God forbid have to share heaven with other sinners oh, I mean imagine sharing heaven with Justin Coleman ew <laughs> I would rather share heaven with Justin Coleman than, Dylan than most Mulvane. people yeah than most people <laughs> if you missed it our, our friend Katie Zed on her show Overruled has interviewed Justin a couple times it, That's those are some interesting interesting conversations you guys should definitely go over to Overruled and give Katie a like and a follow because she does some really amazing work. Uh, and those interviews in particular with Justin Coleman are very, very interesting. I will link one in the chat. Let me, Ooh, I'll, I'll find it and pull it up. You keep talking. And while you guys are at it, you should go like and share this stream. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to Lit. Like I said, we have some big announcements coming at the end of the stream. I hope you guys are excited for it. The base babe says it's a gift, not a reward. Yes, that's exactly right. It is a gift. And there's no way to earn a gift. Like if someone gives you a present, that's not something you have earned. And we need to learn to accept that with grace. People are so bad at accepting gifts with grace. Yeah. Yeah, people feel like they have to pay them back. People feel like... Right. When God offers you forgiveness for your sin, and you have to take that, right? Right. You have to admit you've sinned to take it. You have to accept that. And I think so many people are just like, that's the whole point, right? You didn't want to give up your sin. You chose it. 
I, I have a thought, but but I'll save it because I think it comes up with another ghost. Okay. All right. Um. So the Episcopal ghost. He's Episcopalians. He, Episcopalians. He reminds me so much of like people I've sat in Sunday school class with or yeah. like in some of my uh, Bible lessons with when I was homeschooled. It's just like they just want to feel really smart and hyper intellectual about mm-hmm. God, but not actually see God, not see Christ for who he is, not take lessons right. from that. Just they don't want to know God. Right. They want to be authorities on God. They want to. Right. And he comes off as a very progressive Christian as well. Just like, if, <laughs> what, what was it? If Jesus hadn't have died, how would his teachings have changed? Like, right? I was like, oh. You don't even see takes like that on Twitter these days. Like, that's bad. Right? Oh, that is bad. <laughs> C.S. Lewis is so spicy. I mean. <laughs> Imagine if C.S. Lewis was a leftist. Like, that intellect on a, mm. Nope. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> yeah, a spirit who's talking to him says the reason the go- the Episcopal ghost ended up in the gray town is because he became an apostate. Mm. <laughs> He's like, I was, I was perfectly, <laughs> I, I, I was a good, like, good faith asking questions. Like, no, it wasn't. You just wanted to seem right. smarter than everybody else. And and that's the thing, like, it's- doing your best just honest doubts or whatever that's that's not heaven like that's not the saying same thing. i was above average on earth nope we did don't we grade say, on a curve here <laughs> did we say that each of the bright ones coming to each person is personalized to them it's like a person oh, from no. their life that's mention. designed to somebody who is willing to come back and try to get them right Instead of traveling further into heaven, which is very sacrificial in and of itself. But they say it's a joy to do. Mm. Which I, I really love that because, again, we don't know if this is what's actually going on in heaven. And, you know, C.S. Lewis makes it clear that this is a fiction. But is that not something we can take into our own lives? Could we not find joy in slowing down and witnessing to another. I know I struggle a lot with just trying to share my faith with others. Yeah. Uh, But this just made me think a lot about that. Like just kind of stepping off my own path for just a second to speak into someone else's life. It's funny. I have found it hard to share my faith when I'm trying to, when, when I used to try to go by the mold that was demonstrated for me. Because so much of Christianity is so cringy, especially when you get out of your bubble. Like, you start to speak a language and do all this club stuff, and it doesn't seem weird as long as you're in the bubble. But as soon as you're outside the bubble, it's like, oh my gosh, that's so cringy. And it wasn't until I just started, like, genuinely, like, genuinely having my faith that sharing it became really easy. In the same way that sharing anything else I care about is easy. I think it's overcomplicated and and made into this weird thing sometimes. I think you're right because this is what I've struggled with a lot just being in Baptist churches. Like they always want you to talk about that day that you went down to the altar and asked God to come into your heart. Like all of those words and languages that we use instead of talking about 
like the way I would talk about it now, like it's not a single day I, I can pinpoint. Like there was that one day, like I felt like I was saved. But mm. outside of that, I feel like it's every day just trying to turn my heart to God, right. trying to just leaning on him instead of leaning on myself. There are some periods of my life when I'm not doing that. And I feel very empty and isolated. And those are the periods of my life I remember as being the worst, not because necessarily bad things were happening around me, but because I just felt empty inside. It's like if you were married to someone and the only way that you talked about them was your wedding day or like the right. day you started dating. It just doesn't make sense to only talk about that. And it, it comes off really hollow. Right. Or it's just this whole Instagram page of like perfect relationship and you, you're you never. It, it's like even when Christians try to typical Christians try to talk about real things it just comes out really stunted and it's like what why can't we just have a real conversation what what is it with with walking into a church and then all of a sudden you've got all of these walls up and you've got this like cartoonish everything about everything you can't just be yourself there's so everyone has this desire to seem right or perfect Mm -hmm. and we think that is an image of the world like the world wants to seem perfect but that's rooted in the church too people in the church want to seem like they have it all together like they're not also people who are caught up in their own sins and that that is such a huge misrepresentation of our faith yeah i i don't it's difficult. It's so frustrating how broken it is. It's it's yeah. and it's difficult to understand how broken it is because generally speaking, I connect with people really easily and really well. And the only place I fail consistently is in the church space. And that's just weird to me because <laughs> I'm I'm very much a believer. It, it matters. I believe these things in some ways. I think a lot more deeply than a lot of Christians I meet in it, or at least that's how it appears based right. on how they are interacting about it. But I think a lot of like true believers just don't know how to talk about it or how to live it out because it's not been modeled. It has not been modeled well for us all, which is one of the unique things I think we're trying to do with Hawkeye that you're doing with Conspiracy Pilled that I'm trying to do with my podcast, you know, just having real conversations with real people instead mm-hmm. of trying to hide behind some sort of facade. And I'm not trying to say I'm like a better Christian because I'm more real because I think that I'm more real because I'm just really open about the fact that I'm a shitty Christian. <laughs> like I just am. I'm terrible. Yeah. I just swore. Like, well, you guys. <laughs> Base Babe says, sometimes it feels like I'm not a good enough Christian to share my faith. But when I'm in the realization that it's not about my goodness, it's about mm. his that helps. And that's that's exactly right. Because... I'm pathetic when it comes to being a Christian. I'm not this Christian who gets up at four o'clock in the morning and reads her Bible for an hour or listens to all the right music and says all the right things. Like I can't can't do that. I I, I suck so much at saying all of the right things. Like like you said, I curse. I'm the worst Baptist ever because I'm not a teetotaler. Um, But it's not about all of the little trappings of Christianity. It's It's letting ourselves fall away and let Christ speak through us. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. There's there's so much. Not saying we have it right yet. (laughs) It's not at all. 
not at all. Um, so let's talk about the entrepreneurial ghost. Well, we kind of mentioned him. He keeps trying to pick stuff back up to pick it up and like take it with him. He tries to pick up this golden apple, but he can't because it's real and he's not. <laughs> I feel for him. Because that's the guy who, who's trying to take it back to sell it, right? Right. What are you doing, my guy? What are you doing? Are you doing? And like, so the literal waterfall starts talking to him. <laughs> and he says, fool, put it down. You cannot take it back. There's not room for it in hell. No room for it. There's no room for it. Stay here and learn to eat such apples. The very leaves and the blades of grass in the woods will delight to teach you. I just love this picture of creation. I, I know, I know it's supposed to be a fiction, but I just love the idea of all of creation. Like every atom just singing out its praise to God. Mm. Like, how how could you not when you know you were created by something so amazing? Like and, and C.S. Lewis does this a lot throughout his books, like the Chronicles of Narnia, the animals can talk. Um, just the idea that creation can cry out and worship, I think is very powerful. Yeah. So what did you think of the hard bitten ghost? Reminds me, I mean, this is a copy paste of the dwarves in the last mm-hmm. in the last battle where they just refuse to be taken in and they don't want to be tricked. They don't want to be right. have one pulled over them on them. And they so refuse to be taken in that they refuse to be taken in to heaven. It's right. sad. It's sad to watch them just ignore the evidence right in front of their eyes because they have all of these trust issues. And it's easier to feel bad for them but at the same time it's their pride that's not letting them just let go of the control right this this ghost worried me just a little bit because I, I don't know I see some of myself when I'm like in those dark moments just everything is a joke like everything is going bad in this world. Like how could, if things are so bad here, how could it truly be better anywhere else? Um, and it kind of reminds me how we can so easily become black when we look at the world, like people on the right are doing bad things. People on the left, people in the church, like we can't, where, where are the good people? Is there no one good? No, not one. Nope. There's no one good. <laughs> there's no one good. So uh, can there truly be good anywhere else? Uh, so can how can we avoid becoming jaded? I think some of it is an expectation thing. Like if yeah. you just make your peace with the fact that everyone is shitty and so are you, then then you start to have maybe a little bit more understanding when it happens of like, okay, I can see how this arose and instead of, kind of expecting the church to be perfect. And I think that that's why you get these explosions of terrible sin in the church because it's so repressed and then it like comes out in an explosion instead of being just the the regular open not attempted to be shoved down <laughs> grossness of 
the world in general. Not that people should just sin openly in the church, but right. It definitely, you see pastors failing these really big ways who just never sought help for their smaller issues. So they boiled over into larger ones eventually. Yeah. I think we have to choose joy every day, mm-hmm. even recognizing that the world is hard. I, we forget so often as Christians that we win. We win in the end, guys. Did you know that? It's so hard to tell the way Christians act. That's the other thing. Like, it, you pretend everything's good, except the the actual part that you should know is good. That Right. That even if the world is tending bad, like we should be excited if we're approaching the end times and so many people are just so black pilled about approaching the end times and are just kind of sitting back and like, just want to lay down and die and miss it. And I'm like, no, I want to see every moment that I'm allowed to see of like what God's going to do because holy crap, like haven't we been waiting for this? Don't we want God to come and do his thing? This is what we were promised. And I think this goes back to people choosing their hell, right? They want what's comfortable. Mm. It's more comfortable to stay in this place that you know where things are bad. It's not comfortable to be in this uncertain time where you don't know what's going to happen next when you actually have to rely on God for provision instead of yourself. Mm. I think... For, for those of us who experienced trauma and in some sort of pain and chaos at a young age, it's a lot easier to accept it moving mm-hmm. forward of like, okay, this is just, this is just how the world works. And I think people who had really good childhoods have a really hard time accepting trouble yeah. in, in adulthood. And I sometimes that goes the other way where you have a trauma in your childhood and so you're just like I never want to feel that again you try to build all these walls around yourself but I don't know people react differently I guess we're all a little unique and weird uh, so the next ghost is the self image ghost and she is talking to her spirit friend freaking out like she cannot get with it she is so upset that she's a ghost like she can't bear the thought of anybody seeing her this this one is just like I can't relate. I cannot relate. <laughs> <laughs> Why? How could you be so vain? <laughs> I feel very sad for her because at some point yeah. she's like, I wish I had never been born. And again, it's back to this weaponization of self-pity. She's trying so hard to make the bright spirit feel bad for her but to what end you know it's like what what are you trying to get out of it you can't make yourself solid by making someone feel bad for you you can't undo what's already been done yeah and you can't make them less real and it it seems like what she wants is for everybody else to become less real to come down to her instead of going through doing the hard work to become real herself yeah yeah, there is a spirit we'll get to who wants to pull loved ones down into hell with her. Like, I just, I can't. But isn't, isn't that, isn't that the left? And I think that as we, not to be political, because this is more cultural and more spiritual than 
I think people realize is that right now we're having such a polarization and it's not a polarization so much of left and right as of heaven and hell. People who are aligned with heaven and people who are aligned with hell and people like JP Sears, if you've watched his video about changing his mind about God, he basically said that as the world has become more bifurcated between the satanic and, and the good, he's like, as I saw the evil and I leaned away from it, what direction was I leaning? Toward God. And as he started to see right. things for what they are, he's like, no, I want this side. And I think that the way that the world is, it's forcing people to choose. I think in a few years, PJ has said this a bunch of times, we're not going to see atheism anymore. People are going to choose. Yeah. We'll see it actively happening. People who used to say they were atheists are now actively saying, maybe ironically, maybe as a joke now, but it won't be a joke for long that they're actively worshiping Satan or Asherah or Moloch or whoever that they're sacrificing their babies to and everything else. I I struggle to find that as a joke these days because, I mean, we've seen the TikToks of people putting up altars to abortion and things like that. I, I We are seeing the fruits of the spiritual war now in small ways, and I think it's only just going to grow. Um, so... The other ghosts aren't the only ones who get a spirit to guide them. And they're sort of back and forth. George MacDonald comes to help C.S. Lewis through his journey through the country, too. Um, And I think this was an author that Lewis really admired. Uh, He comes up a lot in Lewis's writings. And so he's kind of like Dante's Virgil, escorting him through heaven, essentially, to see all that there is to see. Which is lovely. I Because I, I think C.S. Lewis was just a such a fanboy for, for George <laughs> MacDonald. Yeah. And he was just like, I'm just going to write him in. Write in how I met him. This, is, this, is, this whole book is just George MacDonald fanfic, you guys. <laughs> That's what this is. It totally is. Well, and it's so funny, too, because George MacDonald was a universalist. And he basically fanfic wrote George McDonald to not be a universalist. It's like I was wrong. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. It's so funny. Um, but some of the most powerful things said are said by George McDonald. Um, because he's spending so much time just trying to teach Lewis about this country, about the decision to be made. And like the most famous quote from this book is that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is open. Hashtag real grass. A lot of people are like, what about those who've never heard? How could God send people who've you know never heard the gospel to heaven? Mm. Uh, I'm sorry, to hell. How can he send them to hell? And there's a passage in Isaiah that kind of says the same thing that I think this is where Lewis got it, of this idea that like everybody has heard. Everybody right. who seeks God, God reveals more. Um, it's, it's in Romans 1 as well, this concept of like everything about God is revealed in creation. Like you can... You can begin to make those choices in the direction of God, and He honors that. And if you want to go that way, He's going to give you more. And right. you see this in 
people in Islam who have pursued God through Islam and eventually they have they, it's very common that they'll have a dream where Jesus comes and he's like look my name's Jesus like right. you're worshipping me pray to the right name now like you're already right. here just it's me which is really cool I, that is so cool God is not limited by it's such I think it's just such a I'm not saying it's silly I, I don't want to say it's silly as in it's a bad question to ask but ultimately it's it's just a non-issue that there would be oh no people who have never heard I think part of that is because we have this weird idea that miracles have stopped happening just because the Bible is complete I I don't know where that idea comes from it doesn't make any sense no it doesn't make any sense I think it's a cope for people who haven't seen miracles. It hasn't happened to them. Which is crazy to me because you wake up every single day. Right? (laughs) You experience a miracle literally. If you are physically here, you are a miracle. It. But that's the thing too. Miracles are too real. And people get really scared about miracles in the same way that they get scared about the real grass it's just some things are just too painful to look at and some beauty really stabs you where Mm. you know you ever catch yourself seeing something beautiful and then looking away from it because you just can't stand it like that's that's what c.s lewis is talking about right in all of this real grass stuff well and i mean that's like when moses was on the mount he couldn't look at god because god is reality god is being that's why he calls himself i am he it, he literally is. He is being itself. And we because we're not real enough, we can't possibly look upon him. Yeah. Because we can't meet God face to face if we don't have a face. Right. I will. That's I always like on my mind. I to have a face one day. Bookstore Thor says McDonald was a fascinating person, a very messed up Christian who was still used by God. See, that's the thing is God can use anybody. It doesn't matter how messed you up, how messed up you are or how messed up you think you are. Like you are not beyond God's reach. Let yeah, he'll do it. Have faith. Yeah. One of the other ideas that comes up as the difference between heaven and hell, uh, and Lewis says this, hell is a state of mind, you never said a truer word, and every state of mind left unto itself, every shutting up of the creature within the dungeon of its own mind is in the end hell. But heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven Mm -hmm. is reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly. For all that can be shaken will be shaken, and only the unshakable will remain. Mm. So often these atheists or over-spiritualists will be like, oh, heaven and hell are just a state of mind. You just got to think it. And uh, that manifesting yeah. thing. Like that only like, goes one way. You're it right. only goes one way, which I appreciate him saying. Mm. And then the other idea is that hell and heaven are kind of retroactive, which this I found very interesting. 
uh, and you were talking about it earlier, is that like if if you go off into the journey into hell, it will work retroactively back into you so that all of your life, all of the places you have been will have always felt like hell. Whereas if you go off in the journey into glory, it will work backwards and even the hardest parts of your life will seem Mm -hmm. heavenly. PJ and I were talking about this the other night on, uh, not conspiracy, well, on our channel, but on our revelation study of when Adam and Eve first sinned, the salvation was one dimensional. Like God Mm -hmm. killed an animal and gave them clothing. They wouldn't be naked. Right. And then when he came with Moses and gave the law and gave the whole setup for the sacrifices and for the way that people could be right with him, that was like a two dimensional salvation right and then when jesus came and died and fulfilled all that law it was like a three-dimensional salvation but what we're looking forward to is a four-dimensional salvation that includes that time dimension so that the salvation can work backwards and every evil thing comes undone right and c.s lewis talks about that a lot and i i love it the way that things will because a lot of people think, well, how could God do anything that could make any of this right again? The problem of evil. Like, how could God allow any of this? He can allow it because it's all going to be undone. It's all right. going to be unworked in the end. We forget that God is outside of time. Just because mm-hmm. we're the ones experiencing time, uh, it's hard for us to imagine a life or a time or, or an existence outside of time. But God is experiencing all moments. Mm-hmm. So, so to him, this has already happened, and to him, the end has already come, which is so weird to think. My three-dimensional brain can't handle it. Wait, did somebody in chat say that, or is that you? That was me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, from earlier... The base babe said, I think it's really hard to see what actually is a miracle at the time it's happening. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That is fair. I think that's why it's important to take time and just kind of reflect. We get so caught up in life. It's so easy to do. I am guilty of it every single day. It's so hard to slow down. But there's a reason God tells us to be still. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So let's get on through some of these ghosts. Uh, I just want to talk about three more because uh, seriously, we could sit here forever and talk about this story. It's so short, but it every <laughs> so line much. is essential. Yeah. There's so much. So I want to talk about the overbearing mother ghost. Okay. I feel particularly sad for this ghost um, because in a way I, I, I feel her pain. She lost a child and that grief just really consumed her. Uh, she like preser- preserved the son's room. She couldn't move on with her life. She made life miserable for her husband and daughter. And mm-hmm. when she finally gets to heaven, the only thing she can ask her spirit guide, who is her brother, is to, to give her her son. Mm. Like, all she wants is to have her son. Mm. Her, She said, I don't believe in a God who keeps mother and son apart. I believe in a God of love. No one had the right to come between me and my son, not even God. 
Yes, he did. Like, he, he did. created you. He absolutely has that right. Right. And she would rather yank her son down into hell than admit that that God was in the right and go and see her son. Because she could see her son. Like, God's literally right. giving her the option. She won't do it. She would rather pull him down, which means that she never loved him. Like, who, yeah. who would pull their child out of heaven? This is such a hard situation because anyone who's experienced loss can feel this. Like, it is so painful to lose someone you love. All, for a moment, all you want is to have them back, right? Especially if you're a mother who's lost a child. I mean, that that is an unfathomable pain. But at the same time, we have to remember that that was a gift that was given to us. That friendship, that spouse, that child, th- those are gifts. Again, that's going back to the miracles. They don't belong to us. Mm. Nothing belongs to us. Even we don't belong to us. Does that make sense? It it does. It's it's difficult to to give up that agency. Yeah. And I think that some maybe this is something that Christians often don't understand is that how do you give up that whole agency while not erasing yourself? Because God created you to be a unique person and he doesn't, he does, uh, that's all this like more of you, less of me stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not actually biblical. Like God isn't asking you to be less of what he made you to be like sin less, put, put your, like sacrifice yourself on the altar for God, like sacrifice all of your will and, and your, Try not to our will is person. not us right our will is our sin right people and, people yeah. yeah go ahead i think that's why that's why it, it becomes so cookie cutter in church because yeah. people have all their passions they, they can't erase themselves for their most people can't for their right. whole lives so they just erase themselves for sunday because that's what they think they have to do it's like, no, God wants to use the passions that he gave you, like the, the things that you're excited about, the things that you love, the things that you're good at, all of those things. Like he's, he made you a certain way for a reason. And the people who do for all of their life really erase themselves and just their entire personality is right. how spiritual they are. It's really cringy. And it's like, that's not what God wanted for you ever. That's not what he asked for. Right. I mean, McDonald says in the story, every natural love will rise again and live forever in this country, mm-hmm. but none will rise again until it has been buried. We have to let go. Mm. We have to stop clutching and thinking that these things that give us this temporary joy will sustain us forever. God wouldn't have given us the these personalities and these gifts, these talents for uh, to not use them, you know. I mean, that's the parable of the talents. Like, don't be the person who buries it. Be the person who goes out and uses it, but don't use it for the wrong reasons. Don't make an idol out of it. And that's what this spirit did. She made an idol out of motherhood. And it's so easy to see how you can get caught up in that because so many sins are obvious. Like, okay, it's obvious that we shouldn't murder, that we shouldn't build a golden bull, though some people don't think that's super obvious. But motherhood is like, 
being a mom is supposed to be like one of the greatest things, right? What, what could be wrong about that? But the trouble is, is when we make those things, make our marriages idols, make our children idols, things like that. Yeah. You know, I see I see it a lot in Christian families in particular that yeah. being a good Christian parent is my entire personality. There's nothing else I care about. And, and if, if you threaten that in some way, I will be very mean. And I think that's why so often it feels very fake when we go to church because people are putting on that facade and it's not like they're dealing with that particular temptation. They're just cleaning themselves up for Sunday, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side of this, we get this ghost who is just plagued with sexual desire. He has a little creeping lizard sitting on his shoulder, just whispering things into his ear, trying to tempt him to go back into hell so he can have whatever temporary sexual pleasure that is at his disposal. This kind of reminds me of like the thorn in Paul's side. It's like Mm -hmm. something that's constantly plaguing you. And this could manifest as anything. It it could be physical pain. It could be a sin that we're struggling to get rid of. I think that's why we're not specifically told what Mm -hmm. that thorn in Paul's side is. Um, It's, it's interesting that this ghost is the most sympathetic in the book. He's, he's the one that, that chooses heaven. It's like the most shameful thing. Christians like to pretend like this is the sexual sin is right. the most shameful sin. Somebody who's caught in lust like this, this is the the grossest person. But it, C.S. Lewis seems to say here, like this is actually the easiest thing to cast off if if you want to, if you're willing to. Yeah, I, I imagine this often as the person who is struggling with like a porn addiction or some sort of addiction in that right. way. Um, because while it's painful in the moment, like it's painful when the spirit takes the lizard and kills it Mm -hmm. like overcoming addiction is extremely painful but Mm -hmm. when it is overcome i mean what a story you have to tell what a new being and new creation you are outside of that it's it's really cool it really is guys if you haven't read this book i don't know what you're doing with your life yeah what are you doing (laughs) Yeah, that that whole scene is really interesting. And then C.S. Lewis is asking George McDonald's, like, how could this man who was caught up in this lust have such a such a grand revival when Mm -hmm. the mother didn't? And so Mm -hmm. McDonald says, nothing, not even the best and noblest can go on as it is now. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountains, not because they are too rank, but because they are too weak. Mm. What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with the richness and energy of desire, which will arise when lust has been killed. And he makes the comparison. How much grander would motherly love be if it's submitted to that death, if it's submitted to God and Mm -hmm. turned over? Like, if that's how cool lust is when it's overcome, how much grander would the the passions we see as, air quotes, better, right, be? And I, th- I think a lot of this, this 
how the lizard gets transformed into this horse that's desire. I think a lot of people don't realize with lust and with pornography addictions that it weakens you. Yeah. It, you're wasting your strength. And if you don't, you can put all of that energy, and it is a lot of energy, into something that matters. And I think ultimately, the reason Satan likes to get keep you caught in it is not because it's not just because it's wrong by itself, but because of what it keeps you from to keep it trapped, keep right. you trapped in it. How much you could accomplish and be doing if if you if you're not bound to that, if you have the stallion instead. Yeah. You could actually want good things and pursue them. It's a distraction. Like so many uh, little things we find ourselves addicted to. Video games. Being too busy with our lives to do things. I mean, there's so many things we attach meaning to that over time become meaningless and sap us of our strength. Mm. And so the last ghost that we see is also a very sad and tragic ghost. And that is the tragedian. Um, And his coming is preceded by the coming of his guide. And the description of her is so interesting because it's this spirit. She is preceded by this great procession of like angels and spirits dancing, animals dancing, like people just like having a huge celebration that she's walking through the forest. Like Mm -hmm. Lewis thinks for a moment, Oh, that's gotta be Mary, right? No, it's just, just some woman named Sarah Smith, like the most plain and boring name he could possibly think of for basically a nobody. He says you would never have heard of her, but what Mm -hmm. a life she must have led to be so Mm -hmm. famous in heaven. Yeah. (laughs) This the the ghost is so awful here. The ghost. And she's <laughs> yeah. She's so sweet, but she's also so firm with her boundaries of like you cannot drag me down to hell yeah. with you. Yeah, because the spirit we or the spirit, the ghost we meet here is her husband. And it's this little dwarfish man and he's leading this giant actor on a chain. And this is, you can, you can imagine this guy. He's like the guy who's always putting on some sort of bluster, Mm -hmm. uh, always trying to puff himself up and seem better than everyone. Uh, Reminds me of some uh, people we see on social media. Like, but we she, all know you're really a dwarf. You're just pretending to be this big man. <laughs> yeah. But but she never looks at the actor. She only ever looks at the dwarf. Mm. Which I think is very important. Because she sees who he is through that facade. And I think it's so often in real life, it's hard for us to see the person behind the act. Mm. Sometimes. Sometimes. But this is another guy who was weaponizing pity. Like, he just made her absolutely miserable in life. And now he's trying to make her feel guilty for not needing him in heaven. Because all she needs is Jesus. Mm. And God, of course she doesn't need him. Why would she need him? Yeah. Yeah. This is the one I guy I feel the least bad for. Like you're awful. You belong to hell. I don't know. I 
he is he is awful and he is making himself awful because we hear from her that he's done this his whole life he has been emotionally manipulating the people in his life basically creating himself into a victim Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes I just wonder if they believe what they're selling for themselves like they truly think they are a victim Um, and how do you wake someone out of that like if they don't get woken up by seeing heaven and being yeah. presented with a choice of like walking into it, I don't, I don't know how. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I get with the lizard guy, like he needed somebody to kind of walk him through killing the lizard and like right. help him with that. Like anyone might need help overcoming an addiction, right? But <laughs> like, if you think that you can continue acting in a place as real as that. Like you're never gonna be real because you're you're. Yeah. It's just an active choice. Do you think he's actively choosing it? Does he understand the choice that he's making? I think that. I think that everyone does. Yeah. I I think that as as much as they try to suppress it and make excuses for it and bury it, I think people are so much more aware of their underlying motivations than they're ever honest with themselves about. And I don't think a thought has to be out loud Mm. and like really overt to be intentional to be a very active choice because you get presented with everything and it's like if you're not looking at if you won't even look at it to make an informed decision that in and of itself is a choice that's like those people who are online or that like say you said one thing and it's like no that's not true here's a piece of evidence it's like no I can't see it yeah I'm not, I'm not looking at that. I'm not then, looking at then that. Then you chose to not, that you right. didn't care about the truth. And so I don't think we don't, we have to judge it by, did they make an informed decision knowing the truth when they refused to look at it? Like they made an informed decision to not even look at it. Right. So. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Uh, McDonald says, every disease that submits to a cure shall be cured, but we will not call blue yellow to please those who insist on having jaundice, nor make Mm. a midden of the world's garden for the sake of someone who cannot abide the smell of roses. Boy, that makes me think of the left. Like reality is just too painful for them to bear that they just won't Mm -hmm. have it. They won't have it. They absolutely refuse. And that's what it comes down to. I think so many people reject God. We try to make it more complicated than it is, right? Like, yes, they have all of these intricate reasons why they're not walking into heaven. But the choice was made when they stepped off the bus, most of them. Like, they decided that this place was too... They didn't want to even... Like, none of them except for the lizard guy is like actively seeking out the ghost and being like, how can I, how can I come in? I want to come in. Right. And how, how, (laughs) how do you have any other reaction to heaven? I don't get it. I think we struggle to get it because we've already made our choice. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things I find the ver- most interesting about this whole depiction is his actual description of hell. So I'm, I'm, I know I've read yeah. so many quotes, but I, I have to read Do this. It. All right. Nothing like small enough 
for a damned soul is nearly nothing. It is shrunk and shut up in itself. Good beats upon the damned incessantly as sound waves beat upon the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Um, this is very long. Hold on. I want to make sure I don't read too long. Oh, okay. Their fists are clenched. Their teeth are clenched. Their eyes fast shut. First, they will not. Then they, in the end, they cannot open their hands for gifts or their mouth for food or for their eye to see. And then Lewis says, then no one can ever reach them. And then McDonald says, only the greatest of all can make himself small enough to enter hell. For the higher the thing is, the lower it can descend. Mm. A man can sympathize with a horse, but a horse cannot sympathize with a rat. Only one has descended into hell. And Mm. he's obviously talking about Jesus. And I don't know if we talked about it, but hell is so small. It is so small. McDonald has to take a blade of grass and use the tip of the blade of grass to point to a crack in the earth. And it's like, you came out of that. <laughs> so mind-blowing. It's this idea that, like, you can't... Hell can't drag you down. You're way right. too big for it. Way too big. And the, the apples are too big. <laughs> the blades of grass are too big for the it. The blades it's- of grass are too big. This concept that just because evil's running amok right now and that that's part of the story that God's telling doesn't mean that it's actually very big at all. And when everything comes, when all the evil has come undone, it's going to be so much, so obvious how small it always was. Right. And I think it's interesting that Lewis says only one has made himself small enough to go and tell because Christ did. He to me that just gives so much more depth and me like how could there not be so much depth and meaning obviously it just makes me think about it in a different way what he did going down into hell and getting the keys to the kingdom of hell and death like he left heaven we forget this he left heaven yeah <laughs> <laughs> And let himself become both less real and also entirely real. My brain can't wrap itself around it. I think so often we take that for granted. Yeah. I don't don't know how to conceive of it enough to feel it. I think we hear the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection so often in church that I I fear it becomes like background noise to us, but it is the greatest triumph. It is something so good and so amazing. We can't even fathom it. Like I don't have the words to describe it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know a lot of things, guys. Can you tell? Same. I don't. I don't know much either. <laughs> Low L. I think that's how I say their name. Uh, in Rumble Chat says, I think most people are striving to be better. That is why they are at church. But sin sneaks in during the week, and we go mm-hmm. back to be restored. I mean, that's certainly fair. Sin does sneak in during the week, um, but I think so often we we let it. 
too. It's like sometimes, sometimes we're trying, but sometimes we just let it. I just yeah. don't, I don't even like this idea of you're perfect on Sundays and then the week comes and, and sin sneaks in. Like, th- that's, n- you are who you are. Like, right. It, Why do you have to be a different person on Sunday and a different yeah, person? Yeah, this idea of a reset on Sunday isn't, I don't think it's biblical. Yeah. I mean, you, you confess your sin at any time. And and be, I mean, if you're a believer, you're already cleansed from it. But like, we should be confessing our our sins and asking to be freed from them at any time in the week. Yeah. And the idea that you know your your dirt stacks up and then you go <laughs> and get washed. <laughs> like that's not that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. It's supposed to be a daily walk. It's supposed to be a constant leaning. Like, I think we miss that part that it's constant, like every second of the day. I'm not saying we have to be out loud praying Mm -hmm. and worshiping every second of the day, but just letting go of your own will and turning it over to God. Right. And if the faith that you pretend to have on Sundays is not sustainable throughout the week, then there's something wrong, right? Yeah. Whatever you have should be consistent across days now it might be a high point of the week to go and and be with other believers and study the word and and get like recharged and and get lifted up but it should also be your most vulnerable time where you're like this is what i'm going through this is you know oh man i've just been convicted of this sin like maybe you feel dirtier on sunday than any other day because that's when you're getting more conviction because you're you're hearing the teaching. Yeah, there's something wrong with the whole conception of it. I don't have answers. I only have complaints. Yeah. <laughs> we only have complaints and questions. No answers. Sorry, guys. No. Um, so the, the last chapter, I'm not sure I get it. I'll be honest. Um. I, I get the part that it, it was all a dream. He wakes up because some books are falling on his head and that we're supposed to understand it was a dream and that the morning arrives and the light is so real that it's it's physically, the light is so real that it's physically crashing into him like cinder blocks and that's what wakes him up. But that whole scene beforehand, I don't really get, I don't know if about got, the About the light hitting him? No, before the light hits him. It's like they're standing around this table and like people are controlling these figures. And it was confusing. Did I just miss that? I finished it this morning and I'm not remembering this part. Here. (laughs) It's so short. Might as well read it. I skimmed it. (laughs) No, you're good. Okay, hold on. That's the only trouble with an audiobook is that if my brain tunes out, I often don't even notice that I did it. Right. I read it physically in high school and then I read the audio, reread the audiobook for this. So, right. I empathize with that because I listened to the audiobook first and then I was like, my brain didn't retain any of that. So <laughs> I had to physically read it. Okay. And suddenly all was changed. I saw a great assembly of gigantic forms, all motionless, all in the deepest silence, standing forever about a little silver table and looking upon it. 
and on the table there were little figures like chessmen who went to and fro and doing this and that. And I knew that each chessman was the idolum or puppet representative of some of the great presences that stood by. And the acts and motions of each chessman were a moving portrait, a mimicry, or a pantomime, which delineated the inmost nature of his giant master. And these chessmen are men and women as they appear to themselves and to one another in this world. And the silver table is time. And those who stand and watch are in the immortal souls of those same men and women. Then vertigo and terror seized me, and clutching my teacher, I said, Is that the truth? Then is all that I have been seeing in this country false? These are the conversations between the spirits and the ghosts, were they only the mimicry of choices that had really been made long ago? Oh, okay. So he's trying to undo what could be conceived as of as heresy. Mm, okay. Where he's saying, oh, it was revealed to me this entire sequence was metaphorical. Okay. That it's a reflection of choices that had already been made. These are choices we make in our lives, not choices that are made before you go to heaven or hell. Right. And I think that's the thing. Like, we catch glimpses of heaven Right. in our everyday life and it's too painful and a lot of people instead of learning how to lean into that they they turn away from it and, and they turn toward hell because it's easier that's fair that makes way more sense now I was like the all of the symbolism was just like kind of confusing and reminded me of revelation it's like I don't know He's so poetic in his description sometimes. It's hard for me to grasp. I've always struggled with poetry. I find it immensely beautiful. I yeah. just struggle to understand it. I think he's pulling this sort of imagery from from the cave, Plato's cave. Mm. Um, this idea of like shadow figures on the wall and all this stuff. I, that's kind of what it sounds like to me. But. That makes sense. Then. And, and Plato's cave does a lot of this. Okay, you see the shadow. And then you see the thing that's casting the shadow and then you go up and you see what is real and what is real is so much more like that concept of the gradation of reality is platonic. Right. That makes sense. Um, uh Oh, I lost my notes. I think we have a few book club questions and then we'll do... Our big announcement. I'm so excited. Me too. <laughs> All right. Uh, scrolling. Okay. So often the ghosts are too focused on themselves to see the country or to see God or to see what r really is. I mean, why are we choosing these idols so often? I And I think we kind of answered this a little bit throughout. It's like, it's just more comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's easier. It's easier. It's easier and there's usually something really essential. Yeah. I think we we did we did lose Rumble. Oh no. RIP Rumble. I know that because of the Trump stuff. Mm. Hopefully this is still being recorded and can be grabbed later yeah but 
because of the Trump stuff, I they they were they warned that things might get overloaded tonight, and I think that's what happened. So dang, that's too bad. I was wondering. I still see Odyssey. If you guys are on Odyssey, Odyssey. hi friends. <laughs> Odyssey uh, friends, but uh, Rumble's down. But I, I think that a lot of people, they each have a really core thing to them that they, mm-hmm. they could give up everything else, but they have one really difficult thing to give up. And I think that you see it telegraphed more and more of, well, my sexuality, like I, right. I, I would believe in God, but this one thing, and they have this one thing that they're holding on to. And I think that that one is really painful and it, it's, it's idolatry, but it's, I think it's just like they don't want to die. They don't want to die to self, and it really does take that dying to self to to get over. Yeah, it it really does. It, it's so hard to die to ourselves mm-hmm. because I'm we want control. It's so hard to let go of that control. Yeah, it's it's so nice. Like I was saved at such a young age that I barely remember it being difficult. Yeah. But, and there's like pros and cons that come with that, right? Because you start with such an infantile understanding of God and then you have to kind of grow up into it. And that the growing pains of just the relationship with God can be very painful as a child understands things better. But the original choice for God was a lot easier. Yeah. So I feel that because I I was also saved as a child. Um, And I, Sometimes I've wondered throughout my life, if I had been saved as an adult, would I have had as many wayward moments? Mm. And after after I've thought about it more, it's like, I think I would have. I just would have had them all earlier. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just not in my walk with God. And I think having them while I'm in my walk with God has given me the tools to work through those wayward moments better because... In the end, I always knew where to run back to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So just like one of my last favorite takeaways from this book is just the absolute joy of the spirits. Mm -hmm. I know we focused primarily on the ghosts because they had so much to learn and we see ourselves so often in the ghosts. It's hard to see ourselves in these bright spirits who are so real and so full of joy. But they are just, they're so full of joy that evil cannot touch them. They literally laugh when some of the ghosts try to make them feel bad or try to say mean things to them. They're like, oh, that doesn't work here. And it just makes me think, you know, we should do that more as Christians. Just laugh. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't work here. Laugh in the face of evil. Laugh in the face of our enemies. What a way to pull one over on them. I, I mean, right. I think the Babylon Bee is so good at doing this. Yes, because it, it, it doesn't work. Like You have to name it. Yeah. You have to notice it. You can't turn a blind eye and say there's no evil over there. That doesn't work. But also staring at it and not... Like, you can't just spend your whole life fighting evil and not seek out the good life. And I think that this idea that evil is just so small. Yeah. Like, you, sh- you need to... N- you need to see it. You need to recognize it. You need to root it out of your life. But ultimately, it's so tiny. It really is so incredible. Like, it is not even big as an atom. 
as he was describing. Like, it is so incredibly small. Why do we let it affect us so much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any final thoughts about the books that you'd like to share? I, I love... I love the concept that it is painful to be real. Yeah. And it is worth it to be real. And you have to be to walk into heaven. And this, like, it's a good thing, but it's also a hard thing. Mm. And it it gives a lot of meaning to a lot of the pain I've had in my life where I, I know that I'm a lot more real than people typically are yeah and it makes it makes looking forward to heaven easier yeah um not because my life is so awful but because i already recognize so much of heaven and i'm like there's a stronger longing for it as like i recognize this as a home i recognize that as home right as opposed to anything that's behind me I like that. It, it's so hard for us to think of heaven as home because we work so hard to make earth our home. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to store up treasures in heaven. We're supposed to think of heaven just doing the work God has placed us here to do for now. Eventually, we will go to heaven. And w- turning our mind that way perspective yeah i'm excited for it me too all right so before we go today we have a big announcement some new hawkhound media content coming your way so i'm just gonna roll the trailer and we'll talk about it do it do it do it for this guys if you haven't figured it out the world is a heckin weird place so through the mysteries and breakthroughs of science and archaeological discoveries chemistry physics and rediscovered ancient texts we know one thing for sure we really don't know all that much or at least we don't know as much as we thought so elise and i are starting a new podcast starting every friday night at 7 p.m to dive deep into the quirks of God's creation as we try to uncover where we came from and where we're headed. I am so excited about this. I am really excited for you. I, When Elise was on the podcast, I was like, we have to keep her. <laughs> she was so awesome. So if you guys don't remember, she did the Ender's Game episode of Lit with me and 
that was one of my favorite episodes that I've done. She was a great guest. I am so excited to be her co-host on this new show. That does mean, however, that Lit is going to slow down just a little bit. It's not going away. Uh, Instead of doing a weekly book, we're going to do a monthly book. Uh, So Lit will not be back until... Uh, April 25th, and I will be joined by Tom from America Floats. We're going to be talking about The Silmarillion by Tolkien. So we've done a ton of Lewis now. Time to give Tolkien his turn. Very nice. Um, I love Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to have Tom on. I like Tom. Um, And that'll be fun. But that's not till the end of April. So starting this Friday, we're going to have the first episode of Quirks of Creation. And we're going to talk about how proteins are the fingerprints of God. I am so excited. <laughs> Me too. I love weird science stuff. And I love that you're, you're crossing disciplines because I, I think so often things get so compartmentalized and you have, you're have you talking about science, but you need to talk about science and history together. And you need to talk about like all of these things together. And I think Elise's history expertise and your science together is going to be so cool. And I'm very excited. I appreciate it. I'm very excited too. I know Elise is very excited. It's it's going to be a super fun project uh, and we're excited to have you guys with us. If you listen to this later on Rumble, uh, I hope you guys like and subscribe because it will be here on the same channel. We're going to rework a few things, um, but I, I really look forward to doing this project. It's going to be super fun, super cool. Uh, and if you guys have some fun ideas about possible episodes, send them in because we're still building it up. We have... Uh, a bunch of episodes in the works, but it, it's going to be fun. I think this is going to be a really fun, long-running podcast. I'm very excited. Me too. Well, I will see you guys all on Friday. Uh, Abby, what are you doing tomorrow? Tomorrow, PJ's presenting. We're going to talk about TikTok and Facebook and DARPA and all the ways that the government spies on you and all kinds of stuff with that i'm not sure all the directions pj is going but i think it's going to be it's going to be fun the twitter files okay um the TikTok basically ban. yeah basically social media platforms in the way that governments spy on you so. Ooh, that's going to be good just like on that my husband was playing this power washing simulator and like we were just, <laughs> i know and we were just talking about power washers so like i never googled it i never did anything and then i get an email an email from Home Depot asking if I want a power washer. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like, like it. it. <laughs> so I'm very excited for your episode. It's going to be good. All right. We will see you guys later. Hopefully Rumble is back up soon. Have a great night. <laughs>